Hello, I'm Aidan Gallagher. I'm Peter Reeves. Welcome to API, our integration podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to set the world to rights on various topics in the world of enterprise integration, and it scratches our collective itches as engineers who just want to uh, rant about enterprise IT over a cup of coffee. Or tea. Hello, Peter. Hello, Aidan. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I am good. We're introducing a new series, aren't we? We are. About... About the failure, the failures of the previous series. <laughs> there were so many, we had to do a whole series on the failures. We call it Agile Podcasting. Fixing Forward. So what the series is going to be about integration types, basically. Yeah. Following our first series, we decided to do a bit of a... How do you describe it? Maybe a high level, back to basics, going over some concepts that we think are kind of quite useful uh, things that we might uh, have to deal with in our everyday work as integration specialists. It's funny because it's the sort of things that you need to know but aren't necessarily automatically taught. So when, when you like join an integration team, nobody sits down and says, right, so these are the these are the integration <laughs> types. Yeah. These are the basics that you'll do in every single customer and and this is everything basically that you need to know and everything you learn is just going to be some variational branch off from this yeah it's almost like that it's, it's like the, the the reasons why you're doing certain things i once bought this cookery book called uh, cooking for geeks which i, I recommend it's a very good book and it actually explains why you do things like why do you heat the piece of meat to this many degrees temperature in the oven and have and cook it for this long because to be honest when you're cooking it you do that sort of thing every day and you, but you don't really know why am i doing it this way you're just be you're just doing what you're told so that's the sort of point of view that i think i'd try and get across are only geeks allowed to read the book only geeks are allowed to read the book dang well we're we're a bit more open we're we're open to everyone although if you're not a geek you probably won't appreciate these podcasts right so we're doing a deep dive into core concepts that everybody uses and sees and needs if they're going to do anything to do with integration we're doing a high level deep dive oh yeah did i say deep dive you said deep dive we're doing a high Uh. level deep dive off the 10 meter board but we're not actually (laughs) going to go under the surface of the water when we hit it because we're going to do a belly flop (laughs) we're gonna do a high level skim over the core (laughs) concepts and point in the right direction so that you can go and and expand that knowledge. So there'll be loads of links all littered yeah. all over the place. So, Peter, why do we do integration? Or what is integration? Why? What is it? Why do we do it? And, yeah, what is it and why do we do it? It's, it's a necessary evil. We do it to connect systems, applications. Whenever, whenever you've got two systems or two, two applications, it's almost guaranteed that they won't talk to each other out of the box and you will always need to enable this communication between them and it's not something to be avoided it's it's a fact of life when you do it well it can be incredibly useful for whatever your organization is trying to do historically computers were built almost to do one purpose which is what we're bringing containers to do now yeah you'd have a punch card machine and it'd just do punch cards and then somebody said well, we've also got the data, um, humongous database over here. Why don't we just get the punch card machine to just talk straight to the, the database? And you connect one to another. So the punch card machine started talking to the database. The database started talking to 10 other systems. Then they all talk to each other. And what you get is like a, an in, a, a cross point to point communication mess. And it's it was always hard. So integrations, the, the solution. Yeah. So reasons why we do it 
because we've got lots of different systems that need to talk to each other. Aidan, why don't you tell us what the main problems that we're trying to solve are? When all these different systems are trying to communicate, they the first big one is always networking. They need to physically be able to talk to each other. And those networks that connect them were are or have been unreliable. They could be slow. It could be very hard to get the data from one to the other. The system could go down. It could take years to actually get a file from one system to another. And then each application, because it's built as a sort of a silo, you, you build an application for a specific purpose originally before you start integrating it. Mm-hmm. So you build it on... You just build it to what's best for you or the team or... Exactly. An application should be doing one thing and one thing well. Otherwise, you end up in mega monolith territory where you can't update anything because everything's totally locked together. Everything's closely coupled. So, Mm. if you've got all these applications that were built to do a single purpose, it makes it hard for them to be able to interact with another machine that's built to do a completely different purpose so you might mm. not have the same data format or or schema or whatever because they're doing different things and they're doing different things well the fact that they are different is a big is a big problem that we're trying to solve we're trying to trying to make sure that they are able to communicate easily and relatively simply and whilst each of them every time one of them changes you potentially impact every other system that it's connected to which means that as applications change you've got the risk of breaking an entire system or multiple systems or multiple flows. The last one I think is the reliability of the systems themselves. If your database could go down, but your mobile application could still be working. If you're sending loads of requests from your mobile application, but then it never hits the database, you're not really doing anything. They don't have the same availability requirement, but obviously they are closely coupled because to complete an entire flow, they both need the whole flow system. Every system in the flow needs to be available. Yes, so one benefit of having potentially a layer of integration between those is that you can loosely couple your mobile phone app and your mobile phone app infrastructure from your database infrastructure. It means that if one thing goes to pot, not necessarily everything goes to pot in lockstep with it. Yeah, and it's sort of evolved this specific system, which is integration solutions, which were evolved and built with this speciality in mind, which is I want to communicate lots of disparate systems with different data formats, with different availability requirements, with different networks. We, I want to get them all together, and we've we've built slowly solutions that are able to sort of deal with deal with that well. So how do we know when we've succeeded with an integration? Is it when we meet is it when we meet all those problems that we've that we've just outlined? <laughs> when we've fixed them all, yes. Yeah. If you're looking at an integration solution, when would you say, yeah, okay, that's that's a really good integration solution? I would say when it is pretty flexible, it is not massively bigger than it needs to be, and it's pretty simple. Those those would be my that that's how I would judge a a successful integration. Yeah, I'd agree. It's seamless. It's it's you can you can swap one application with another, and everything else in the flow wouldn't really really know. So I can swap my Java application for a JavaScript application, and pfft, who cares? There were some main solution types that were created throughout the seventies, eighties, and nineties to really solve the main problems, and 
they were four main types that pretty much everything falls under. Yeah. What we so the way we've broken down this upcoming series is we've kind of focused a little bit on each of these uh, different integration paradigms, um, and we've kind of spoken and spoken about each of these 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 patterns, which yeah, Aiden described as being just they've been around since Yonks, but they're quite sort of. They're quite axiomatic and interesting to dig into. Should we, do you want to run through them? Yes, Peter, I'd love to. So we've got messaging, which uses queues or event streaming or pub sub to get a message from one system to another. I was going to say, when you said pub sub, you're referring to publish and subscribe, where one message could be pushed out to many subscribers. Yes, I am. I feel as though pub sub is jargon. Sorry, I'm... Right, so then we've got RPC, remote procedure call or a remote method invocation, and that's one system telling another system, could you do this thing for me? And it'll either wait for a response and do something with the response, or it'll just send it off and be like, yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> Call that request reply, and typically you'd see this in services or APIs. And then we have the shared database. So it's multiple systems sharing one central point of information or data, and that might be because it's physically the same or like the same server and they're both accessing the same server or that the data is replicated for everybody's use. And finally, we've got a file transfer, which is the moving of files from one system to another. Fat messaging. <laughs> a bit like messaging. <laughs> and the, I think the last one that we talked about, Peter, was it's not really a paradigm or a type. It's just something that it's like a glue, isn't it? Something that... Something that can spawn a rant. Yeah. What, what is that? We've also uh, discussed uh, the concept of standardization across integration platforms and the benefits that you can get by using standards, patterns, blueprints and repeatable processes in your integration solutions. And I think why that's good, standardization, is that it's a, it allows us to use... To, it allows us to do integration well because when we because there are so many applications and they're all disparate and they're all using their own data their own types etc that standardization just really helps us to be able to integrate well i think good yeah so we've got we've got these solutions which are the core solutions that we use on any given project and uh, we are going to usually produce some form of architecture that allows us to produce applications and message flows or whatever to get information from one entity to a final entity. Normally, or more modernly, it's like a mobile phone to a system of record, isn't it? So in integration, what are the primary concerns? What are our big considerations when we're architecting for integration? This kind of, kind of fits in and addresses like the uh, the problems we were describing and things to try and stop, solve. So again, standardization. Probably the I would say that's probably the main feature of of an integration arch, of an integration architecture is how that how how that kind of brokering and enabling of common patterns is going to be implemented because that will often be like the base layer through which something will be built up and then able to be extended. Once you've got all of your various systems potentially maybe talking a, a common language or a common message uh, format, it becomes very easy to bring new things in. So yeah, 
Another thing you can discuss is maybe, I don't know, availability. We discussed how um, it could be that the components, the systems that hang off your integration solution will probably have wildly different SLA, service level agreements. How often can they be down? How often will they be allowed to be down? How often how much will people care about them? For example, if we go back to your mobile phone example, if 2,000 mobile phones across the country appear to be off, fine. I I don't know the individual use cases for those. I imagine that someone will care about them somewhere and they'll turn their phone back on later or they'll reinstall the app or something. If one of our two databases explodes, that's obviously something different. And and it's those kind of things that we need to be aware of. So if we were building some kind of integration architecture, handling integration with mobile apps, we need to be aware that mobiles might not be up all the time. They're going to have to phone home. And so we're going to think about all the sort of asynchronous, um, asynchronous communication. And I think what ties in with availability is state. If we've got a lot of state, if we've got messages or whatever that says... I don't know, a payment, for example, then obviously we need to make sure that the availability is handled somewhere. And often that availability is in the integration layer. We say, okay, so the mobile application sent it to the integration layer. The integration layer will deal with it when when it can. And it's sort of a holding ground almost, isn't it, for storing forward is what is what we might call it. Mm. And, and and that's a that's a known pattern in the integration world. So availability definitely comes into play with things like state, but it's also because it's the integration layer, I find it's a bit more important than if it was, say, the mobile layer, because um, obviously you've got bigger concerns if your mobile won't turn on. Yeah, exactly. So, and tying in with that, I think, is resilient. Yes. If you've got state sat on the integration layer, and there's often a lot of state or there's a strong dependency, it's in the middle, it's like the backbone of, of most applications and system uh, flows mm-hmm. then obviously it needs to be resilient so i find that with an integration we're doing a lot of making sure that the system can't fall down if it does fall down we can bring it back up quickly and we can bring it back to a point in time and we can replay transactions if if we need to so resilience is obviously really key mm-hmm. uh, consideration specifically to integration because because of it being the backbone and your favourite one, Peter? I don't know. Is governance truly is governance truly applicable to um? Governance isn't like an integration architecture specific thing. So I'd say it is. So the reason I'd say it is is because what we often see is that multiple different groups, because it's an integration platform, need to have access to the integration solutions. You're also bridging organisations at the same way that you're bridging systems. You've got almost the human level and the organisational level of integration as well. So it's not just we're getting applications to applications. It's making sure that two or three or four or five organisations can all use the same systems Mm -hmm. safely, securely, um, that they've got the right levels of isolation, but they're still able to integrate easily. Yes. So in that case, some kind of governance or process is required and it shouldn't be thought of as a negative thing because you're putting in the framework to allow lots of different teams to be able to use and reuse your platform and get the most out of it. Because while everything else in your organization, these various different systems that you're updating and integrating together, as they update, that means that your integration solution normally has to update with them. 
and normally has to think about, okay, how can how can all of these things be served together? And it's also a lot easier to do it at the start. It's the same as security. Security is a consideration. And it, alongside security, governance should also be there with it. And I, I think the two go very similarly. Can different teams connect easily? Can we introduce new projects easily? How easy is it to integrate with the integration system? And the governance level, I think, is the is the human side to that, the organisational side to that, rather than a typical application or software-specific item. Uh, we often talk about things like golden topologies, which is like state-of-the-art, best. This is the best of the best. This is what we'd recommend. But then we never do that. And the reason we don't do that is because of specific organizational needs. So the big one is, do we actually have the ability to implement these solutions using the best, the best architectural practice that we can? Yeah, because it's expensive. Do we have the, do we have the ability to do it in, in the best way we can? As in, do we have the skills within the organization? Do we have the appetite for risk within the organization? Because we're saying... We're suggesting the latest, greatest, coolest thing. It might be incredibly powerful. However, sometimes people don't want to trust things and be on the bleeding edge. And then finally, there is, of course, cost. People might not want to... People are quite happy to pay for something that's good enough. They don't need the best of the best. If it is new and trendy, is there anyone out there who can support it? And again, that comes to cost. Can we afford the people who can support it? Is it really niche product yeah. with, with really expensive consultants and developers? Kubernetes site reliability engineers who require shed loads. But then yeah, you also have appetites, don't you? Like in, uh, there's, there's fads, but then there's individual preference which comes into it. So an individual with an individual stakeholder might prefer a different solution type they might prefer oh, yeah. um file transfer over messaging just don't really you know don't really like messaging want to do everything via file transfer fair enough that and all of these are almost fringe um considerations that massively impact how you build integration solutions but aren't directly related to the abilities of the integration solutions does that make sense they're like factors that say whether we can do specific things with the integration solution that aren't featured around functionality i feel that's like non-functional requirements but i thought that what you were describing was like uh, weird human preferences like the pointy head boss in dilbert saying that the kubernetes instance has got to have a a purple logo or something like that that is also a non-functional thing, having a dependency on a person who makes decisions based on their preferences. It's an outlier factor that impacts the way that we build integration solutions. Okay. They're also crap. <laughs> so I think what we've seen is that we've got integration, which is seen as solutions to the main problems of not being able to connect systems together. They use different methods of communication of storage of formatting and what we use integration for is to bridge that gap i don't think people realize how much they use integration in their day-to-day -day lives what what is your integration example that you you tell to family members or friends i always say something like how do you think a mobile application backend works but um that isn't super sexy well sometimes it can be super sexy i normally go with twitter i think twitter is very good um, because it's quite an it's a it's an easy use case to understand, 
but you've also got to think of all the components in play. So think about think about I don't know a customer service thing, a customer service account that uses Twitter. They've normally got like a team of maybe ten to twenty customer service agents following their Twitter account, and there could be loads of people angrily tweeting at them saying, "Can you help me with my issue?" or "I got scammed" or something like that. How do how do you think those individual messages get fed through to different customer service agents, and then how do you think their their communications get back? And suddenly you realise that there's a whole that there's got that there's a gap. There needs to be a whole messaging system in place. You need to be able to distribute these pieces of work, these bits of data over people in order to be able to scale it out so that as soon as you start interacting with your customers at more than one person a time on the internet and 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 it's that kind of situation where you suddenly think ah I can really see the benefits of this and the way that I can really enable something quite useful to happen what I would normally go for is banking actually every time you check your balance I say there's integration there you're on your phone you go onto the application and the application says how how much balance has this person got you've got to you've got to pass in your username and password i'm going to go take that down to a database i'm going to make sure that you're you and if as long as you're you i'm going to show you your balance and that doesn't matter if you're coming from a mobile phone an atm machine it, it doesn't matter where you're coming from as long as I can verify that you are you, then I will go and get that information from a database. More recently, probably using a, an RPC on a shared database. So I'd, I'd do a remote call to a shared database, get that information and, and serve it back to you. But you don't see that. You just click a button and you've got your balance. Yeah, maybe because I think it's probably because we look behind the curtain so often that we are privy to these kinds of um, wider systems. But as soon as you start thinking about it, you realise all this stuff's got to be there in order for it to work the way that it does. So yeah, there's lots of examples you can think about. Any kind of, think about the workflow that must happen for any big organisation and you think, wow. The one that everyone uses uh, is email. I think that's the the biggest usage of messaging. Billions of emails sent every day and that's integration. That's going from one email client to another. It was one of the earliest communication forms on the internet. And email is highly uh, under underrated. Yeah, it's such a simple thing that works so well. I feel email is like the best decentralized technology, most popular decentralized technology that we have. Because if you think of anything else, it's all about platforms and connecting and consuming a service from a big provider like um, Gmail or, or Twitter or something. There's always a big thing that owns it. We're going massively off track now. Or even your electricity or your you pay your water bill to like the water company. Email, it is perfect, it's a perfectly legitimate thing to own and run your own email server. In fact, it's encouraged. It was encouraged in like the 70s, 80s and stuff. And now everyone just uses like a Gmail address or something. So if you want more slightly <laughs> disorganized uh, ramblings about integration... Why not listen to the rest of this series of podcasts? We've got five 20-minute-ish episodes, um, just a really high-level understanding of the core concepts. And throughout, I think, if you hear anything you don't agree with or you'd like us to do another podcast on, let us know. Yeah. So thank you very much. And 
enjoy this series. Lovely. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye.